Hello and welcome to the new Digital Age PMU podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with some of the amazing women that have taken part in the Practice Makes Some Perfect programme. A course developed in association with Amy Keane that helps women find and finesse their public voices. So Amanda, welcome again to the PMU NDA podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first of all, let's hear again a bit about you. Uh, you know, most people know Permutive, obviously, but about what you do at Permutive and how long you've been there and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I actually started at Permutive in the, in the pandemic, so I started back in December. Um, so interesting times onboarding virtually, but I am the marketing manager of events and experiences. So also interesting in the world in which we've been living in um, the past year and change to be doing events, but exciting nonetheless. Definitely. Thank you so much. Well, great to talk to you again. I mean, Permitted do put on some really amazing events in the virtual world and in the real world, actually. So let's talk about your subject for today is diverse voices at corporate events, obviously a massive subject. So first of all, tell me why you chose this title. Why I chose this title, I think it's just something at Permutive, diversity and inclusion in general is a core value. Um, I think with events as well, it's a core value for our team. And it's an area where we're not, as an industry, meeting the standard that we need to be meeting. We're not doing a good job at including the, the mix of voices that make up our the world in which we exist in today and that's a problem so that's why I chose the title and that's why I chose this subject okay and it is it is a problem I mean we put on a huge number of events at, at NDA and I've spent my whole career doing events of some sort in some form and, and diversity has always been a, an issue so tell me why you think it is still such an issue I mean, so there are a few reasons for this. So one, not to blame event organizers, but to hold us accountable. I think that there's just never been, uh, you know, I don't think it's been emphasized enough that it's, it's the onus is on us also to be selecting speakers with the bigger picture in mind and not just defaulting to the same kind of the same set of speakers we typically see in the event circuit in this industry uh so i think you know there's this this lazy element of laziness um that's been part of it or just kind of well these are the these are the people who we know speak at events we're going to have them um i think there also hasn't been a real driver of change. I think with everything that we've seen culturally and in our in our world recently, this has obviously been a ma- massive topic of conversation in general, not just at events. So I think now it's definitely coming to a head where uh, we need to be more accountable as event organizers. That said, I do think it, it is one symptom of a bigger underlying problem. And I think that's, uh, you know, just, how we hire in general, I think that really impacts the speakers who we have available to put on stage. So today, for example, companies tend to promote female 
workers at a much lower lower rate than male counterparts with only about 5% of Fortune 500 companies having female CEOs. On top of that, um, out of uh, chief executives running America's top 500 companies, just 1% or four are black. So, so that's another part, probably a, a bigger part um, reflected again, you know, more systemic issues in our society, unfortunately today. Yeah, I agree. The pool is smaller, so it's harder. I mean, harder doesn't mean harder doesn't mean it shouldn't be done, obviously. But let's talk a bit about if this is an issue, it's a problem we both know it's a big problem. We both are sort of work class try and avoid this. We both know that sometimes it's something that's unavoidable that you, you don't want to happen. But what do you think of the actions to try and counter this on social media and what i mean by we all see all the time not talking like a manal manals are bad i think everyone's <laughs> just about got that although you still see it popping up but about the fact that the sh- sort of the, sh- the shaming of events that don't provide a truly diverse picture of the industry we see this all the time do you think people should be sending pictures of an all white all male event lineup on social to be sneer at um look i i think that can actually be a very effective tactic i I saw it done pretty recently actually by someone um who you and i both know well and it was a mantle um and not just a mantle it was an (laughs) all-white middle-aged um mantle at that and uh the 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 event was the sorry the the panel was called out by a number of people on Twitter, and one of the participants actually responded to it. Like one of a, you know a very senior level executive responded to it. Um, granted, it was sort of um, you know a, a little bit of a was deflecting blame a bit, but it was addressing it, and and so I think that that is part. That is one indication, I think, of progress. Is it the gold standard? No, but um, I do think that it can be effective. I, I think shaming in general, I hate to use that word. I think it's more about bringing it to the forefront of the conversation and putting people in a position where they can't hide behind a screen or an EA and they have to address it and hold, you know, be accountable for it. I think you're right. Okay, it's not really shaming, it's bringing to attention. And often people don't realise that they'll be sitting on an all-white, all-male panel. You know, why should they? Be very organised contact with them. So therefore, do you think it's incumbent on everyone in the industry to take a bit more uh, bit more sort of interest in who else is appearing at any event they're speaking at? We all know people who now put in their, in their Twitter bios will not speak on, speak on manuals. You know, should this be incumbent on everyone? I do think the onus is kind of on everyone. Um, and sorry, not kind of. I do think it is on everyone. I, I think that in the example we were just talking about before, the person responded by saying, "I had no idea who else was speaking until I was actually at the event," which also kind of begs the question: What were you doing during the prep call, or why was there no prep call? But um, neither here nor there. I think 
speakers need to ask those questions and implore the organizations they're speaking with to select a diverse mix of speakers. And that's not just, you know, gender that goes, it goes far beyond gender, it's age, it's uh, class, it's um, ethnicity, it's cultural background, professional background, neurodiversity, disability, the list goes on. Um, I also think as event organizers, when we approach crafting and designing event, events, we need to keep the bigger picture in mind, as I said before, and really, um, you know, be responsive to the speakers who have agreed to speak and reach out to others accordingly. And it's not, you know, this, I, I feel like it runs in, runs the risk of seeming like it's checking a box or becoming tokenism. It's not. It's ensuring there's a balanced representative mix of people on stage, just as there is a mix of people who exist, a broad mix of people who exist in the world. You raise a sort of interesting point because it's sort of how far do you go? Again, we both know this, this isn't easy. Or we both know that when you're up against it, you need a certain range of voices at events and then adding in layers of uh, has to be male and female balance, has to be uh, balanced by gender, has to be balanced by sexual orientation, has to be balanced by age. There's so many layers that go on top, so many filters. Doesn't this make it kind of almost impossible in the end to run an event? I don't think it makes it impossible. I think we haven't been asking these questions of people. We haven't been, you know, putting any sort of like standard or structure in place, or at least not in my experience, I've seen it rarely, where people really put that at the forefront of the way they build events. So I I think of course um, it it in some ways can make it more challenging because you don't know a lot of this information. You can't, you can't just look at someone and, and identify for them these various areas of who they are. Um, it, it does take asking them these questions. So um, yes, it makes it har harder in some ways, but I think um, you'll find that it's a lot easier once you do start asking the questions and people will be, you know, people are actually very excited and responsive and receptive to, um, you really emphasizing and prioritizing DNI as a value through your events. Really good point. So let's let's end up talking about the positives. We talked about the potential challenges, but what are the positives of producing an event that is, you know, fully balanced, fully balanced in every sort of uh, aspect and measurement of different levels of diversity? What's the output? I mean, I think it's clear through this conversation that diversity is an asset. Um, you know, it allows us to see problems in different ways. It brings into play a range of perspectives and approaches and experiences. It allows us to challenge the norm and to avoid group think. I think um, you know, diversity drives innovation and change and even business success. So research conducted by McKinsey shows that companies with the most ethnically and culturally diverse boards worldwide are 43% more likely to experience higher profits. That same research also revealed that companies in the top quartile for gender diversity on executive teams were 21% more likely to outperform on profitability and 27% more likely to have 
superior value creation. So diversity is your greatest asset and organizations should showcase their asset and put it at the forefront of their brand and events present a very unique opportunity for them to do just that. So I think to sum it up at the end of the day, a diverse set of speakers and attendees allows for more compelling content programming, more interesting conversations amongst attendees while you're at the event. And there's a real value in that. And, and we need to you know, unlock the full potential there. Fantastic. I love the full potential. It's definitely what we should be struggling towards. So let's end on a final note. Uh, what's your message? You're an event organizer and you're up against it. You've got two weeks to go and you've looked down at your, your program and you've realized you've got a really, really underverse panel. What do you do in two weeks? What's a wonderful advice for panicked, panicked events organizers? Panicked. <laughs> well, leverage your network, one. Don't be afraid to just LinkedIn message people. Um, be informed, of course, about who they are and why you're asking them to present. But I think, you know, just be proactive about reaching out. Don't be afraid. Uh, ask your the executives at your company to help and reach out to their network because it's often pretty expansive. Um, I think also, you know, partnering with organizations like Dice, for example. Um, whose mission it is really to ensure there's a balanced and diverse set of speakers, attendees, and content represented as events at events, and see you know um, seek advice and guidance from them. Fantastic advice, and especially I think especially you know look at your own company, look at your executives and their connections. That's really amazing advice. So Amanda, as always, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Really, really inspirational thoughts. And as I say, really great advice. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.